I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, and welcome to Going Off Track. Hi, I'm Brad. Hey, Brad. You look great. Thank you. I feel really tired. I just came from hot yoga, and then I got to run this whole studio, then I have kids and family. <laughs> How do I do it all? Uh, did you try drugs? Yes. How's that working for you? It's working pretty good. Speaking of which... Uh, <laughs> Speaking of drugs... Uh, <laughs> Fat Mike has been going through rehab. Oh, have I you been seeing that. this? He's been posting this on Instagram. Uh, we had we had a little talk about it, and uh, yeah, I'm pretty. Ha- it seems like he's doing good. He's on day six, I think. Really? Yeah, he's been surfing, going to AA meetings. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that sound that you heard L- was was Brad was Brad, <laughs> was Brad thinking about God? <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> but anyways, uh, ironic that you had mentioned. <clears throat> Drugs and Fat Mike <laughs> together in the same together, segment. but also because today in the podcast we have a member of No Effects on who isn't Fat Mike. Yes, uh, Eric Melvin. Eric Melvin came by today, not today, but recording the intro today. Eric Melvin came by when the band were in town uh, promoting their book, The Hepatitis Bathtub, which is amazing. Um, I've been reading it, and uh, they did a signing at Barnes and Noble, and then. They played a show at Irving that was not no Q and A moderated by me and Steven this time. <laughs> they just got up there and played uh, an amazing set. Mephiscopheles and Directed opened. Um, I got super drunk with them, and uh, yeah, they played a great show. But earlier in the day, Eric came in to talk about this book. Yeah, and I sadly was not here. Brad wasn't here. It's very interesting though because uh, the cool thing about the book is the guys learned so much about each other. So many of the stories and like different perspectives, like so much of it, they've been a band for like 30 years, but didn't know certain things until it came out. And one of the things that came out was that Eric got molested by a neighbor when he was really young. And it sort of really changed things. And it was something it took him a long time to come to terms with. And he came to terms with it, put it in the book. And now he's sort of like helping people. And that's sort of a lot of what we talked about was sort of, it's kind of serious. It's kind of, um, but really kind of inspiring. Like, it seems like Eric's really kind of embraced this role and just wants to help people in his situation. So, yeah, it was, um, it was really cool. I'm really happy we got to do it. Yeah. 
I'm sorry I was in Brazil on the beach. Yeah. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I was just kind of ha- trying to help kids from being molested, but I'm sure you're having a lot of fun on the beach, Brad. So <laughs> getting tons of karma out there. Yeah, it was okay. I'll take it. Yeah. Take um, the trade off. Take it. But yeah, and also side note, uh if you follow Eric on Instagram, he's uh been um doing audio tracks for the audiobook of Hepatitis Bathtub, which should be amazing if they have the members reading each other. And they also posted <laughs> that they got Tommy Chong from Cheech and Chong to read but... think their old guitar players role. Yeah. <sighs> this may be my first audiobook, it, sounds like it sounds like it's probably <laughs> even if you read the book, it sounds like it's probably worth it to also buy the audiobook. <laughs> I don't know how they can I mean, it takes a long time to do an audiobook, doesn't it? Like, it's, I don't know how they can tie those guys down, man. Yeah, I think they're all, I mean, it seems like they're all very invested in this project. Maybe this is p- part of Mike's um, rehab. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, so the audiobook, I don't know when that's coming out, but it should be in 10 years. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, thanks so much to Eric. You know, these guys are only in town for one day, they were doing a lot of stuff. So it was very nice. For Eric and his girlfriend to come by. Very gracious. She also sat in the podcast and also sat in was Benny Horowitz from the Gaslight Anthem. Yeah, Benny. Our uh, frequent guest host and uh, just a sweet, sweet guy just like Eric. Just take Benny if you can't get me, man. Yeah. Just accept him. Yeah. He's yeah. funnier than me He's, anyway. You guys are b- both just different. <laughs> I like it when it's all of us, honestly. Yeah, that's And good. Steven. I, like, I just wish everyone could do it all the time, but. Everything all the time. Everything all the time. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, thanks to Eric for coming by. Check out the Hepatitis Bathtub. Check out, I don't need to tell you about NoFX's records, you know, you, you know, whatever. What's your favorite NoFX record, Brad? Uh, not to put you on the spot. I would say The Decline as like my favorite, that's an EP. Technically, my favorite full length. Uh, I guess. Not a very original answer, but I'm going to go with Punk and Draw Book. That record, to me, is, still sounds pretty much perfect. Yeah, I don't know their whole catalog, but I definitely know that record. White Trash is great. There's some. Awesome. I feel like So Long and Thanks for All Issues and Heavy Petting Zoo, very underrated. Um, some of the newer records have some really good songs on them. Uh, SNM Airlines and all that stuff is great. It's all great, but for me, it's like, yeah, you open with Linoleum, it's like, Come on. Like, that's just pretty much just perfect. A perfect record. Perfect government is on there. It's perfect punk rock, man. Yeah. It's, uh, that record is, is, I mean, it's one of the best punk records ever. I don't think it's really, it's defining, arguable. It's a defining punk rock record. It's a defining punk rock record. So, um, enough of us talking about how great Eric and NoFX are. Why don't you just listen yourself? Uh, so here's Going Off Track with Eric Melvin. Enjoy. I talk quietly too. You're doing fine. Your levels Thanks. are great. <laughs> oh no, Jonah, where's my cheat? I like your you levels know, too, Jonah. Um, we we've met, met each other through the but network. We've, I've like friends. I've actually like hung out on your bus and smoked pot a bunch of times, but never specifically with you. Yeah, I'm always hanging out with your crew. Yeah, Who are I like kind of gave up smoking pot a while cool ago. Dudes. Yeah. What? Actually, I just moved into edibles recently. Yes, I recently got my uh, medicinal use license in California. Actually, Sarah and I both got ours. May I ask um, what your condition was that you were you got it? Um, I went through a divorce last year. Well, I finalized the divorce last year. I went through it like two years ago. 
Uh, and man, still so much stress, so much anxiety. I mean, so you can use anxiety as something to get that. And then I just kind of threw in having trouble sleeping. Sure. A little (laughs) touch of insomnia. Like, yeah. Once in a while I have trouble sleeping, you know, like it's like, sure doesn't everybody. But, uh, the doctor said, yeah. And I told him straight out, I mean, I don't know if it mattered to him really that, uh, I actually don't like being stoned. I'm not really like a stoner. That's kind of why I quit smoking pot in my 20s. Um, but I like the like uh, anti-inflammatory uh, aspect of it and just the calming, if you can get that calming part of it, mm-hmm. which I th- my understanding is you get more from edibles, more like a body sedation. Yeah. And that's what I got. And 100%. So got like lozenges that are like... Ten- tenth of a percent or something thc but three or not percent milligrams or something it's all milligrams then uh, three milligrams cbd oh that's the non that's, oh yeah. that's the anti-inflammatory that's part anti-inflammatory, of it that yeah. doesn't get you high right yeah. the cbds or whatever yeah cbd which yeah. i don't know what that stands for i don't it's even cannabinoids i believe oh, yeah Danny. Um, nice. yeah i've been uh there's a new show on the viceland channel Weed-a-kit. called weedakit I've learned oh, so much yeah. about because from New Jersey, like what you're saying to me is like paradise. First off, I mean, well, Denver is paradise right now. But what you're saying, the fact that I've been I've been treated like with Ambien, so there's I could get this prescription in no time at all. It sounds like, mm. and the idea oh. that I could walk into a store, not only legally purchase edibles, but purchase them to the point where I can ask for a very specific type of chemical combination specifically tailored to my needs i mean fuck that's awesome it's amazing yeah it's still so cool we can really get the use out of marijuana yeah and then and then you can really like and you're and and it's cool talking to someone who's not like being like oh i got this because i'm just like secretly legally getting high now Right. right, this yeah. is someone who's actually using it for medicine. Yeah, what which made is cool. you stop? Because I remember last time I was here, I was talking to Mike, and somehow weed came up, and he was like, "You can't do that stuff." He's like, "Because I was like, how do you stay so productive? How do you get stuff done?" And I feel like some people it really helps them, mm. and some people yeah. are just like, "I just want to like watch movies all day." Yeah, which I feel like is kind of where I go sometimes. Yeah, if it's too head trippy for me, then for sure, or I'll. I'll start playing guitar with like a drum track or something on my laptop and it'll be it'll just morph into something completely just wacky and yeah. weird <laughs> that i've listened to on a loop for an hour you know and it's like this is uh, when, you know but like when listen you're... to it listen to it a week later i'm like what, what the hell is that? that but at the moment i was so into totally it, always which, you know that's kind of a meditative kind of state that's works i guess in a way too yeah i guess to get outside your comfort zone i mean when you're writing a song now like i don't know how many songs does no effects have like 500 Jeez, yeah, who something. knows i mean are you ever like is it hard to find like a new chord progression that you guys haven't used like so many times to- like kind of i mean or like a new i guess there's so much i keep i keep trying to expand my own guitar playing and i keep stumbling onto new things um but I do notice that Mike favors a lot of similar chord progressions. Yeah. And then he has ways of, I don't know, jazzing it up or throwing in octaves on top that make it sound different. But when we just recorded recently, by the way, uh, we started in September on a new record, September, October. 
and kind of demoed it, sat on it, started back in the studio in January. It's been going really well. But back in September when he showed us these songs, um, I was like, like three of them were almost the same exact chord progression, three different songs they'd written. And I was kind of like, this is a different song? This is supposed to be different? And, you know, you listen to them now, and they are absolutely right, completely right. different. There's rhythmic parts to the guitar, or it, it's fast, mid-tempo, totally different. But he likes, that's his ear, and that's his, he hears melodies in there. Yeah, and that's he was what saying something him. else, like he, there's this thing, I can't remember the term, where like you put the accent on like, a different part of the word i guess he's, he's like i do that a lot in my lyrics yeah i don't know what did he say he puts the emphasis yes on the wrong <laughs> syllable or something yes. like that exactly you know, to say. that's a way better way to... yeah, yeah. have, you, have just... you found that like after i mean because you guys have been in band what 80 what was it 80 83 yeah. so in that time like like how did you guys write songs in like 1985 compared to now yeah, yeah right <laughs> like i mean in a way it's kind of the same it was just like an idea an idea for something and then um i guess it would then it started more with just guitar no i guess it's still the same it started more like kind of with guitar that sounded cool a guitar part that was kind of what we all liked and listened to when we were hanging out and listening to punk rock music it was like something started with like four chords it's like man listen how cool that sounds and then fit a melody over that but um i know that as mike uh wrote more and more on his own he said you like have to have a melody in mind that mm -hmm. was his thing because i would send him those things i'd be like listen this cool guitar like four chords and he's like where's the melody and i'm like mm, i don't have one he's <laughs> <laughs> like when you get a melody send it back to me like, oh, fuck. Okay. Well, that's kind of cool though to hear because that in my head that's one of the reasons that no effects was able to like separate itself for so long and maybe have more i had a really awesome conversation once with brian baker behind a <sighs> backstage we saw each other and he just was in a cool chatty mood mm. and and the guy was cruising and yeah. i meet a guy like that i'm not saying shit like, I want to hear as much as this human has to say, because it's somebody I idolize so much. Yeah. And he said gotcha. one thing in that conversation that always stuck was just like, yo, whatever you do, however you play out music and this stuff, great songs last. He's like, you write a song with a great hook or a great melody or something like that, it's not going to go away. People find it forever because, like, you're putting something out there that that has this lasting kind of power. And I feel like no effects you've seen about thousand bands come and go in the time you've been mm -hmm. around. And I feel like mm -hmm. that's one of the cool things about the band the whole time is there's always like, I can sing along to like no effect songs in a super melodic anthem kind of way, like from old songs to new songs. Maybe, yeah. I don't know, I guess that's my own diet interpretation of maybe one of the reasons you guys have been successful for yeah. so long. Yeah, it started really early on, sort of. I mean... By the time Mike started writing these catchier, more like a melody you could follow songs, we were, you know, we'd been together for seven or eight years, you right. know, which it seemed like a long time. Um, but that was really was a long time ago now when he wrote like S&M Airlines was like the first one. We recorded that in Germany 
in like eight, 1988 or 89 before the album. Um, and he, uh, he just really got this feel for a, a melody. It was like, he just wanted to do it. I guess the big part of it was bad religion mm. was when bad religion, um, suffer came out that that was like the resurgence of, of really a, applying like punk rock, uh, like a melody over punk rock music. And I remember Mike just like, uh, and we just listened to it in the van on tour, like all over and over and over. We're like, fuck, that's so good. So at the wow, time, that record, game, like, game changer. Yeah, yeah. Like, you guys and away, Mike huh? just like, ah, uh, obsessed. And he was in college up in San Francisco and started just writing these songs, huh. melodies, and he still couldn't sing them. <laughs> but, you know, that came with time, you know. <laughs> I was just having a conversation with, of all people, like just a random Uber driver in Nashville, Tennessee, who studied the, what was it? It was like bit music. The psychology of businesses. Psych psychology of businesses. And she wanted to, thanks. She wanted to, um, she was there. This is Sarah, by the way. Yes. Sarah. Hi, Sarah's Sarah. here. Hi. <laughs> uh, <laughs> She wanted to talk about why bands stay together, um, and now I forgot my point. <laughs> oh yeah, because when we started, we started. It was the way that we, when we started, we like liked the same music, we liked each other. Even as Mike's songwriting progressed, and he couldn't really sing them that well, he got to be a better singer. It's like mm -hmm. we, he learned how to become a better singer. He learned how to work with his voice and. That's another part of our longevity is that we we like each other as mm -hmm. people. We liked each other as people from day one. We had problems, of course, over the years. But you, I don't know if you can like learn to like people better over years. Maybe you learn to tolerate them better over right. years. But you can learn to be a better guitar player over years or a better drummer or a better singer. So um, we sort of stumbled onto the thing that was going to make us last or help us last as long that as that initial had. chemistry just that you guys liked being in a room together and we like being in a room together we like each other's personalities they work together and uh we love the same kind of music and we kind of still do and that was at our i don't know i guess a formative time for our music loving yeah <laughs> but what i thought was funny about the book was when smelly was talking about like playing with you guys for a third time he's like my mike and eric were so bad <laughs> like when you guys like when he first when you guys first kind of got him in the band <laughs> <laughs> but it was punk rock you totally know? it was like, totally. yeah. it was well, like uh, you learn as you go right um you know mike did say it once i don't know where he got it from or if he made it up probably it was um punk rock is good songs played by bad musicians and that's who <laughs> but we the ironic thing is like I think everyone in the band is like a great musician. Like I feel like I see you guys. I've seen you guys play the decline a bunch of times. Like that Jordan to me is thinks. yeah. It's like you guys sounds like serious. And I feel like also it is specifically true. for you. I feel like it was like a joke with the band. Like oh Eric, like uh, can't yeah. play. And then I see you guys. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Um, yeah, and then before you know it, like that's one cool thing I think too is like yeah, you guys will sit here and say we're not great musicians, and then all of a sudden you see someone whip out an accordion solo and then you see like a horn solo <laughs> totally. you see this cool shit and you're like oh like it, but what's cool is you know from i'm at the age where i knew who you guys were from when i was 12 years old up until i met you when i was like in my late 20s because my band wound up in the same place as you and 
I smoke weed and so does your whole crew. And that <laughs> yeah. kind of was something that tied a it bonding, together. A bonding factor, um, but yeah. one cool thing I noticed about you guys was that from the outside, you would kind of assume maybe that because of the way Mike talks, the kind of shitty talks, and then the kind <laughs> yeah. of way you guys, all of you, like approach what you do, you might get this idea that it's a divisive bunch of people. That it's people who would like behind closed doors, like get into it with each other or would like talk a lot of shit. Well, which you do talk a lot of shit, but it's <laughs> yeah. all taken in, you know, a certain way. Yeah. And then you actually open the door behind no effects and beyond the band guys, you guys have had the same crew and the same guys with your band for, for ages, 20 yeah, years, right? Yeah, like yeah. a guy like limo or someone yeah, like yeah. that. And I always think of it. It was a cool thing to see getting into that world. Cause the same way, um, Say if you go to a restaurant, the same restaurant for five years, and they have <coughs> the same wait staff. It's an indication that the people running the restaurant are doing good by their people, right? Yeah, like they don't turn right. over waiters every six months. Like mm. they actually have a group of people who stick around. You, and you yeah. kind of see the same thing in music. Like when you see a bunch of shitty dudes who aren't great to be around, even if they pay top dollar to work for the band, they usually don't have these like solid crews. That yeah. stick behind bands. They're usually one of those yeah. bands that kind of outsources guys who know how to work for every tour. This guy's great at guitars. This guy's this. Put them together. They go on their bus. And it's like work. Mm. You guys are like, it's family. It's family. like tight knit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super cool family. And that was always an indication to me that like behind the scenes, and I don't know it personally, but behind the scenes, somebody's taking care of your people someone's doing right by your people yeah you've never fucked your people over and that's like a really cool indication i think of your band yeah yeah we're a family we've been a family for a long time funny that you say that though because limo actually just quit no limo just left the limousine yeah, limo i know big uh, limo well he he met a new girl oh i met her a bit uh right. yeah she's awesome it's can't she got him in love. She, uh, uh, cat. So oh, yeah. She's so rad. She, she turned the keys on the She didn't have a name. She just is rad. Yeah. And, uh, it was also. For people listening, Limo, Limousine, yeah. is, and he introduces himself as such. Yeah. Is a giant, awesome crew guy that's been working for No Effects for how long? Like. Jeez. 15, 10, at least 10 years. Or yeah. It seems like forever. I mean, he's always been there. Started as our monitor man. Uh, we decided at some point that we needed to add keyboards into the sound for some of the reggae stuff and some other things. And so he just, we taught him the notes kind of thing and he would practice at home. And so he would play the keyboards on five or six songs or something and and do his funny dance that he does. <laughs> it was just him, you know. And yeah, he's just a... We grew up together kind of over the last 10, 15 years. And, you know, I got to meet his his kids who are now so much older, were babies then yeah. and stuff. And he got to see me go through having my babies. and But yeah, he had to go. I mean, he met this new girl and they're amazing together. And it was, it was always kind of a struggle for him because we don't tour that much right. every year. You know, we just don't. And nobody really wants to tour more nobody right. in the band wants to and so it wasn't going to really 
you know, he was just struggling for a few years and uh, he decided it was time to just make that move. Sure. Yeah, it um, seems like he hasn't been through a lot more lately, I feel like, because you're here for Backstage Passport, then you're here for the book thing. Like, I feel like it, it used to be just like every four years at Irving or something. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. It's funny. Even after saying that, we don't tour that much. It's like yeah, we're yeah. busier than ever somehow yeah. at the same time. Um, so, God, I don't know what's going on <laughs> um, with this book and everything. And yeah, there was even, uh, we, let's see, yeah, with the book. We actually hired a kind of like a, an assistant manager to Kent, a kind of a partner to Kent to help manage all this stuff around the book and all the promotion that needs to be done and publicity and stuff. Because um, it's just like, I mean, Kent's already got his hands in. Right. He's got so many jobs, wears so many hats. And, uh, I think and he wears a headset and golfs on the weekend. And, and yeah, and he needs to have time for golf too, you know. <laughs> So, uh, anyway, there's been, yeah, it's funny as you say that, that with this family and yet there's been sort of a shakeup of, uh, jobs in the band. I mean, when it comes to the book, I mean, how involved were you kind of in it? Cause I felt like when I, when we did that Q and I think for backstage passport, I felt mm-hmm. like some of the people in your band were like, I haven't even seen this yet, but it seems like something like this has so much more like individual, like just to even go through all that stuff must be so involved and take so much time. Well, it started, God, it started years ago, you know, four or five years ago. I think we were working on the second backstage passports because Jeff was on tour with us, Jeff Alulis. And he said, he was like, let's just start. Let's just start this. Okay. How do we start? He's like, well, I'll interview you and we'll record it. And then I'll just transcribe everything. Like, okay, it sounds great. So we did like an hour here, an hour there, an hour with me, an hour with Smelly, an hour with... And then uh, over time, then like he transcribed that and he thought of more things he wanted to ask and I thought of more things I wanted to talk about and did more just like word, spoken word, just recording it, transcribing it. And then I got hundreds and hundreds of pages of things i had said you know mm. written and i'd okay so i went and went through it like so he transcribed page, and sent it all back to you yeah yeah oh, and then i went through it page by page and story by story and like oh i remember some more detail and like oh yeah that's right but it was this person you know like kind of fixing right, things sure. and um then um it was really long when it was done and there was like a first draft that Jeff sent us that was broken down into he chronologically ordered it <laughs> he chronologized it um, and uh, uh, th- that was cool then to read like because then I read like Hefe's part and I read Smelly's part and read where I you know where I told the same story from my point of view and uh Um, it was, uh, it was cool. And there was, you know, there was something I read there for my first time, which was in the book, um, that a girlfriend that I'd had in Santa Barbara that I lived with and that I had always, this is, you know, 25 years later that she had been raped while we were together and I didn't know. And I had no idea up until the moment that I read that. Um, well, I mean, Mike actually called me earlier and he was like, do you know, there's like, there's talk, you know, the story about Santa Barbara and your ex. And I was like, oh, really? And I kind of like knew I'm like my yeah. suspicions. And he's like, yeah, 
like shit. And I had been emailing her just to make sure like she was cool with me telling stories and like, did she want me to change her name and stuff? And she was like, yeah, that'd be good. And she was like, call me when you get a chance. And so it was kind of like these messages were coming, like you're going to find out something that you probably don't want to hear. Right. So that was hard to hear, you know, that was like, uh, and strange because it was so, I mean, I haven't even seen her in 15 or 20 years or whatever. Did you find that process of like speaking to her and it all coming to the table like cathartic for you or her or? I don't know. I mean, something like that is like, you know, I I don't know what I would have done at the time and definitely can't do anything about it now. And maybe telling the story is helpful. I don't know, actually. I mean, this kind of story, you know, so that was um, that was pretty heavy. And then I wrote about my uh, my um child being molested as a child story that was that one instance that was i still haven't really talked about it much so so um, so did the other guys know about that or no you know i think that they i don't know actually yeah it's it's like as um as i wrote about it there were things that I realized that I, I didn't, I don't remember things I'd buried, things I'd told. I didn't tell my mom till I was, I don't know, 30 or something, you know? Um, I started going to therapy. Well, they sent me to therapy when I was like 12 and I didn't tell that therapist I couldn't, you know, I, I don't know why I couldn't. Well, I mean, I kind of explore that a little bit, but, um, I don't even know if I started talking about it in my in therapy in my mid twenties, but I knew there was something. I mean, I knew there was something that 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 was this was having an effect on me that I needed to figure out, and so I started going to therapy then. And more recently, I've been, had more success in the last few years. I guess because I started writing about it. Yeah, and I was like, okay, this is going to be in a book. I better. <laughs> do some real thinking about this you know instead of just bearing it like i'd done for all these years um and it was pretty helpful i mean it was really helpful the therapy that i'd um been doing recently but it's it's so hard it's like i don't even you know um there's so much that i just had kept secret and so much i talked about in therapy that i'm i don't even know what you know, the guys in my band know about what's yeah, happened. Yeah. Well, that's another thing about the book is like, there is so much kind of like darker stuff in it. Like, I feel like it starts out kind of like lighthearted with, you know, pee drinking. Drinking pee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, how most classic books start out. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah, I mean, all this stuff about like, yeah, like. That's how Tale of Two Cities kicked. I believe right? so. Was urine? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought so. Right. Um, but yeah, like all the stuff about all those early LA shows you guys being at and how like dangerous they were and all that stuff and then your stuff and then obviously all the stuff Mike went through with his parents. Yeah. I mean like... Smelly story. Smelly story, obviously, yeah. yeah. I mean, was it hard in a way to sort of like... Because I feel like going so in depth, you almost are like reliving that in a way. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for real. Um, And some of Smelly stuff... I mean, we lived it too as a band. You know, we were right. there coming home from a tour. We'd been away for months. And the first thing his dad says is like, he go, he like goes, hey, Mike, hey, Melvin, what are you doing here, dickhead? 
you know, to his own son. And we're kind of like, it seemed ridiculous. It was almost comical, but it, this is real, like living for Eric, yeah. for Eric Sandin. And we saw it, we lived it. And, you know, and um, when we started the book, uh, we didn't want it to just be like tour stories and, you know, throwing a keg through a window and stuff like that. And how many times the van broke down, you know, and that we, stuff had been kind of well covered in the, in the video stuff, right? Like yeah. The yeah. That's past true. 10 years of fucking up. Yeah. yeah. I know. Totally. Um, so, uh, and like smelly and I were, have always been kind of more like that. We'd, we've always had these deep conversations about emotional aspects because you're things. the jews man where the <laughs> smelly's not a jew oh he's not no uh, he just oh mike right i was behaves, thinking two hebes which hebes he behaves financially like a jew <laughs> right but um he, he's the uh, white trash yeah but he's the white okay. trash yeah my fault he's hold held on to more of his gold than any of the Jews in the band. I can't uh, wait to tell Mike next time I see him that I forgot he was Jewish. <laughs> yeah. uh, he'll be. Well, I'm sure not getting divorced helps helps hang on to money. What's that? Oh, I'm sure that's. Oh yeah. That's oh, who's smelly? No, just in general. Uh, yeah, I guess I don't know. I mean, yeah, no, it freaking cost me. Yeah, everything I had. I mean, I'm so freaking broke right now. But um. Uh, yeah, the stories, I mean, we, we, yeah, us, like Smelly and I, especially, we, we love to talk about, especially after he got sober, we would talk about always the emotional aspects of things. And, um, we, we could talk, like have these great heart to heart talks and Mike and I too like that. But, you know, over the last five, six years, Mike has gone more into like his, really living out his like drug and alcohol and overindulgence of everything that he can and just, you know, living his life the way he wants to. So, you know, those, those conversations are harder to have with somebody right. who's, who's hung over or on drugs or, you know, waiting for the drugs to kick in from being hung over. It's like I mean, a, a never ending cycle. Is that ever like, concerning to you like are you kind of like do you worry about him all the time yeah all the time and i tell him tell him all the time and uh yeah it's it's hard for me and i've told him this but you know he he used to just i mean we we talk daily when we're home or at least weekly about just things what's going on and what's new plans and kids and what's going on with the family and divorce for me recently because he'd been through it right years ago and just like his advice used to be more kind of like he was the emotional like what matters to your heart what you know quality of life kinds of things and for the past few years it's been more like really reactive and like really how to fight you know and i'm like not really i don't that's helpful in a way, but I'm not like so much a fighter, but man, when you're in a divorce, there's so much to fight about. And if you mm-hmm. don't fight for things, you're not going to get them. You right. know? I mean, just time with the kids and stuff, you know? Um, and so his advice became less and less like, I guess, useful, you know? And you I think- just, I told him time and time again, even hearing his own problems um, with, 
um, his family and whatnot that I don't want to talk too much about, but he would just be, he was so like reactive and so quick to anger, so quick to hurt and stuff. And that's the drugs, you know? And I, I tried many times to point it out to him, you know, Hey buddy, you know, I, I hear you're really upset and this is a really big deal, but I think you're kind of like, you're getting really angry really fast right now, you know? Just like maybe take some breaths, calm down, you know, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Everyone's here to support you. Remind him of those things. Yeah, you know? that's it's, good. It's not him against the world. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, it's, well, first off, like just congratulations kind of on being able to tell your story and like, and thanks, you know what I mean? Seriously. Like, Thank you. Thanks for like... I can't imagine after so many years finally getting to that point where you're even willing to share it and then share it not only with your friends, but people. And I think you've already said how helpful it's beginning to be for you. I know you're just that scratching the surface of of what you got to get into, but Mm. I can't imagine. I knew people, I knew kids when I was growing up who've had some pretty fucked up things with their family and people who've had to bury it through the years. And I think you really could be helping someone. I know it's hard to see, but you know who, who gets into no effects is the kids who need no effects. You know what I mean? And and hearing a story like that via you guys could be something that's really important, you know? Yeah. That was, you know, a part of, part of the thoughts that went through my head was, man, you know, so many kids, had it so much worse you know it's almost like me talking about it all is just like you know i don't know just like oh that's nothing compared to what some kids and i know some people who've had it so much worse personally and i also know it happens it happens so much worse but that was a big thing for me is um is just keeping it inside and not talking about it and not um feeling like it was my fault and feeling like somehow something in me that was like some label that said like I needed to be preyed upon or prey on me you know like feeling like that just led that kept with me for years and years and as an adult you felt like a tangible like physical effect to like keeping it inside oh yeah yeah Mm. yeah and like god did I how did I deserve that or how what in me that like led me like i can't trust myself i will lead myself into some kind of situation where i'm gonna you know where something horrible is gonna happen and i'm not gonna well i did get out of it you know i mean i did get myself out of it um and uh so a lot of trust in myself and you know, again, through therapy and through talking about it and, and actually saying, I mean, I, I found myself sitting in front of my therapist, this amazing woman, um, and saying words that were like physically painful to say, I was like, Oh my God, I can't say these words. And I was saying them still found a way to like stumble through them and say them. And she helped me sort it out, you know, sort out some of those things. I mean, I was, I was preyed on by, by a, a, a man who, you know, preys on children. And, um, and I, I don't, I still don't understand the, the psychology behind, behind it. 
and what really causes it. And I know that there's organizations out there that can help people like protect.org and, um, what was that one we saw on the TV? Would you mind? Sorry. Oh man, I know. Well, I'll try to find it anyway. Um, that can really help people more because it's like this, it's control and it's people taking advantage of the innocence of children. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's awful. It's terrible. And it leaves a mark on these children and some in a developmental stage that Mm -hmm. will fundamentally change them. You know, I mean, it fundamentally changed me too, but through therapy, I was able to start piecing it apart, you know, and finding just finding a few more like smaller trigger points for me that led me to have to, you know, whatever, relive the traumas. Um, And you had all these years, I guess, you know, music and touring and all these things can they not only be used as like an outlet but a bit of an escape you know good it's a great point yeah i'm i'm actually hoping to meet uh an old friend today who was uh shortly after or within a few years of my trauma um i started to go to an after school uh like day camp thing at the jewish community center um, at the Jewish Community Center in LA and met a man there who was the camp counselor then at that next summer. And I started to go to, and he was kind of like, became like, I kind of idolized this guy and he became like a mentor to me. And, uh, um, we bonded over music and he actually took me to see Adam and the ants in like oh, 1980 cool. or something cool. at the Greek. And I was, you know, I was really little then. I was, this was like my precursor to punk rock because Adam and the Ants, there was hardly anything like that at that time. Right. Um, and I'm hoping to meet him for lunch. He works at the JCC in New York. Oh, really? That's crazy. Now he's I'm... one of the directors. Yeah. And we oh, haven't seen each other in 30 years. Wow. And I tried to see him when I was here in New York last time, but he was out of town for work. But I was going to say the, the point is that I was lucky that shortly after this horrible thing happened i ha- found good support i mean my parents were were always amazing to me um uh and then i had this great counselor other counselors at camp i went to camp you know a lot of kids can't get that support and then seeking out music i mean punk rock music was like a huge um support for me and all this like angry music mm-hmm. and like totally different and i just felt like something that belonged to me and and then yeah being able to express myself with music and playing live was was huge as well and just get out like just whatever angers and hurts just like feel like i could just like let it all out Mm -hmm. and just like play a loud guitar chord you know fortunately for my ears to this day (laughs) But yeah, so I, again, I, I got kind of lucky and met met some great guys, started yeah. a great band and had a lot of support and was able to, I mean, I, I said it in the book, I was really quiet through high school and stuff. And then once we started touring, I started meeting people and just learning to like chit chat more and learning sure. to just like talk about bands and have more conversation and just, um, you know, I was able to just, I don't know, just become more... Um, I guess vocal, I guess. So, okay. Sarah just showed me that there is this, um, a website also called joyful heart foundation. 
all one, all put together as one word, dot org. That's another one. And um, we just learned this from watching Law and Order on, on TV <laughs> on Sunday, that this is Child Abuse Awareness Month. Oh, it is. Oh, nice. So that was like, yeah, that was cool. So I contacted those people and I said, I, you know, if, if you need it, if you have any use for like a punk rock guitar player in your foundation yeah. to just say, hey, it happened to me too, you know, please let me know if I can help. And uh, um, they haven't answered yet, but that was only <laughs> yeah, in the last yeah. few days. So well, I think know. inside of the punk context, it's maybe even more important because, I mean, often, often there's a reason kids get into punk. You know, often there's a, I know at least for me at the same time, there was like, that fringe aspect of my own life and the fringe aspect of punk that were kind of I, I, perfectly married. I agree, but I also remember, like, maybe it's a little different now, like 10, 15 years ago, I had a friend who was in a bunch of bands who was, was gay, and he, I was like, and I knew, and like, not that many people, I was like, why don't you just tell everyone? He's like, I was like, this is like the warp tour, and he's like, yeah, it's still not, yeah, you know what I, I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I see that. I agree. Yeah. I, there was, there's, um, yeah. It seemed like the punk rock scene wasn't as open or accepting or or openly accepting of yeah. of uh, gay of being gay, which is a shame because there was a time I know when it's it seemed like when our influential time seeing like the Germs and it was all like you know um, there were cr- there was crossdressers and. Um, I don't know what you call it, like polysexuality, or I don't know what there's a term for that, where people are just sleeping with anybody, you know? And we knew about like Iggy Pop and David Bowie, and it was right. like this, like, New York doll. You know, it was like an artist, like fringe kind of cool thing to do that people were doing. And I don't know how that got to be like, you know, we agree with all this, but not sure about right, that. Right. Do you I think like the mid nineties thing had something to do with it? Kind of the just the entrance of once really punk bands into a super mainstream world that kind of brought a little more of a mainstream value into punk. And he's trying to say jacks. Huh? You mean like jacks? No, I'm talking about <laughs> Green Day and the Offspring. Yeah. That's what I'm talking yeah, about. Like yeah, I'm talking about talking those about two bands. But being I feel punk and I think then just used. before that maybe there was this whole like Southern California there was like kind of I, I mean I'm this is my these are my bands. These and you're like, born and bred Southern California. Yeah, right? these are like Pennywise and um you know uh no effects and like this whole surfer skater which was almost a pseudo kind of jock mentality mm. that came into the scene. And I, I don't know, I think they were, they were almost like less of the freaks, even though maybe they thought they were the freaks or the fringe, you know, I mean, I, I say freaks like as a positive sure. label, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm you're amongst freaks. proudly. You're in a safe place. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So, uh, um, I think there was maybe an influx of that at a time, but yeah, yeah it's true. And and there was... Yeah, that yeah. insurgence of like machismo happened somewhere right. in there, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, so yeah, somehow that was a, almost counter to that. But there was always like the band The Queers and uh, uh, yeah. some other bands that I don't know that were... like, yeah. That were, you know, they were openly gay and that was cool, you know, and that was... I mean, not even that it was cool or uncool. It was just like fit, you know, right. it just fit in with the whole thing. It made sense. 
but I guess not to some people. Hmm. But it's, you know, I'm, I've known like Mike has been ever since I don't even know when, when we were in Japan and we started finding S&M clubs and Mike started to go like, I found an S&M club and I, I started to see more and more that he was really into this kind of thing. And he started exploring where he liked to go with those. And I'd always go to him, these places with him and some others, maybe the crew and other friends. And um, watching him explore what felt good to him. And he started, you know, he'd wear, uh, he'd dress up, he'd wear women's clothes or just women's underwear or whatever happened to be there at the time. And he'd... I, I've been happy to see him starting more and more to wear that um, when he was comfortable out, out around San Francisco. And then he started wearing dresses on stage. Mm -hmm. And I've told him right from day one how proud I am of him that he can um, feel comfortable doing that and not that he has to hide it and he's not afraid that the fans might, I don't know, turn on him. or. And everyone in the band is equally as down as you are uh there's <laughs> let's just go on to the next diplom- question that's right? a very diplomatic <laughs> expression like yeah well, maybe it's something about the color you know yeah, sometimes yeah, just, it's a black dress style. yeah right. I don't know. yeah feel that i, I feel that i uh <laughs> i also feel like sort of related but not really i feel like you guys can get away with doing stuff that no other band and the like i remember your show in austin at red seven when you played as half effects Oh, oh yeah, right. and you just played the first half of every song. I was like at pl- that. South you were, part. yeah. We, uh, we Vanessa had, snuck me in the side. We door. played the Hot Water Music reunion at that. Oh, outside at South by Southwest. Yeah, yeah, I was at that show, and I went to the No Effects <laughs> show. You know, walking effects, around yeah. South by, just fucking hammered, drunk, yeah, yeah. like looking for cool uh, stuff yeah, to see. So I, remember, I remember walking in, I'm like. I just play like the beginning thirty I, seconds of your song. I got That's snuck in, hilarious. and I was like, "I'm seeing no effects in a club. This is amazing. This has been my dream for so long." And like, you guys like open with linoleum or something. And then halfway through, you're like, "Eh." And then every <laughs> song in the set. But I was like, I. It was like frustrating, but also so funny. But I was literally like, I don't think another band in the world would <laughs> no. think of this and then actually do and it. Actually and their fans it. are kind of like, yeah, and, I guess. Well, and uh, yeah, you guys have been so consistently like that for so long. <laughs> yeah. that I feel like your fans were like. Oh, all right. Totally. You guys could get away with it. No one else, I feel like, could. We've played at South by Southwest so many times for so many years. Maybe that's why that happened there. need to mix it up. But it's true. I think maybe other bands might have a little more sense (laughs) to to do that. But yeah, we did that. Let's see. We also played a show once in um, somewhere, maybe New Jersey or something, where we didn't know till we got there that it was early and it was like a, an all ages show which meant something like it was like the laws were strange so we we could only you could only get in if you were under 18 or something weird or like so it was all these kids or under 21 anyway so nobody was drinking and mike was at that moment was really into like where we're playing for the we should be playing for the adults and like it's a no effects show everyone should be wasted and stuff so he was just like we're gonna do a slow effects set and we played every (laughs) slow song that we had that we could play and the whole set was like that there wasn't one fast song your ballads i felt yeah you know some of the reggae ones and stuff too but i kind of felt bad for those kids (laughs) 
But, you know, he was like, you know, that well, was when he was full on into the, the fuck the kids thing. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that because I remember when I did that story for AP and you guys, like, I remember sort of not like getting mad, but I remember being like, is it weird? Like all your fans are kind of teenagers. And he was like, actually, we just sold out like all these 21 plus shows. We have a lot. And I was like, all right. and then he would say stuff like, if you're 13, there's nothing interesting you can say to me. Like don't talk to me like it was i was like okay yeah i remember when he went through that phase there was a there was a moment where like almost every person he talked to he'd go how do you (laughs) and he's like he'd go like if you're if you're under 25 okay i won't talk to you it's like dude come on man he's like he's got nothing interesting to say he's like if you're under this certain age there's nothing possibly interesting you can say to me me. i mean but the kid wants to hear you you know right right just say hi or something you know (laughs) i mean is that i mean it does seem like there's kids always discovering no effects but it does seem like to me at least at this point, it's a, a kind of a, a big mix. I mean, yeah. did you feel like at a certain... I mean, was it weird at a point where you're like, we're getting older, but like, it seems to be these kids at our shows or... It's, I mean, geez, it, it seems like, no, uh, there have been some young fans keep coming in. I keep right. seeing them, but I also keep seeing like old dudes, you yeah. know, not old dudes but some for sure old dudes gray full gray i mean i am too except that i dye my hair but <laughs> it's not naturally gray. blue <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the um the old dudes and now even more than ever there's like guys showing up and they're like this is my son he's right. 15 now oh, that's cool. and you know and mike will be a dick and be like you know you can't read this book you know or whatever don't <laughs> listen you know I don't want to talk to you or whatever. <laughs> like, dude, you were 15 when you yeah, first listened yeah, to punk yeah, yeah. rock, you know? I just saw a video this morning of Mike just killing a 13-year-old orange-haired kid at some festival in Europe. Oh, just huge. Just, yeah. I mean, good five minutes, this little kid. Get out of here. You shouldn't even be here. <laughs> well, uh, some funny shit, honestly. Yeah, I know. I'm still not sure exactly what... I mean, I guess when we were... The punk scene in L.A. in those early days was fucking dangerous yeah, and scary. And everyone was like, seemed like mean. And it was like, yeah, you know, I saw fear play and and it was like leaving was going to like beat up his own fans, you know. What kind of venues were like, like, so this was L.A. in the very early 80s. Yeah, yeah. And what, uh-huh. what was like, what? Like, what was the scene? What were the venues? Like, how how did, Man, there how was, were people getting shows they together? They were all kinds of, all different varieties. I mean, I saw Minor Threat in like, eight, gosh, was it 82 maybe? I don't have a good head for dates, but um, at this huge auditorium out in the valley, it was like, I think it was called the Velodrome. Maybe it was one of those, I, I get them all mixed up, but it was a giant place and it was thousands of people because it was LA and Minor Threat and it was huge. They were that big already at that point. Yeah, yeah. I think it might have been their first time out in LA and it was giant. The pit was like huge and like um, the sound was awful, you know, (laughs) but it was uh, it was this great big huge show and I saw Dead Kennedys down in um, down in like the Huntington Beach kind of area or uh, that's in the book actually. Um real industrial area just a huge empty warehouse and you know because there was no hardly any security and no real permitting and like the cops just came in and like broke it up near the end and they were just in the back starting to like beat 
kids yeah. up just to get everybody out. And there was no, like, even the police policing themselves. They just had billy clubs out and were just, like, bashing people. I mean, there was, like, a line of cops as you went out the back door, just, like, hitting kids as you walked out. Jeez. You know, luckily I was this tall. You know, I was, like, 14, and I looked yeah. like I was 12. And, you know, so the bigger kids were getting hit. Um, so it was nasty. And then there were clubs, like, that were in South Central, again, in the book, where... The vandals were playing and it was like, I don't even know if it was an actual venue, music venue at all. It was just some place in a totally shitty, scary neighborhood yeah, near South Central. Um, and we went down there and went to see the vandals play, you know? And do you know who the people... I'm sorry. Do you know who the people in those days who were like cultivating that scene were? Well, like, some of it was like the BYO people, the okay. Youth Brigade you know, Sean Stern and his brothers and they were putting on shows. Golden Voice was putting on shows in those early days too. And they've still are, you know, um, doing concerts to this day. Um, but there was all kinds of people doing, yeah, I don't know who did that dead Kennedy's show. Um, I saw fear play at a club. It was like, it must've been like a little dance club called dancing waters. <laughs> and behind the stage was this like fake rock formation that had water like flowing down it. It was like, you know, an eighties or seventies, like, you know, disco place. And I remember after they got off stage, after they finished leaving, went to the water and he started like rinsing himself <laughs> off in the water and like the owner, somebody goes, Hey, you can't do that. You can't do that. And he's just like ignoring the guy, you know? Like, Fuck, don't tell leaving what he can't do. Did you he's ever punch you. see uh, Gigi Allen? Who? Gigi Allen? No. No? No. Because I feel like I, I saw a live video and Mike was like in the audience. Like it panned the audience. And I was like, I think that's Mike. Yeah, and Smelly, that was, I think he played San Francisco um, at least a few times and Smelly was living there at the time, and I know that he worked at the covered wagon that Gigi played. Mm. And Smelly like had to fucking he had to set up the mics, and he had to clean up afterwards. Oh man! And Mike said, I think that was the show that Mike was at, and he said like I think the first thing he did when he came out on stage was he squatted, shat diarrhea on the floor. Maybe he scooped it up into his mouth and then spat it on the crowd or something. And he said. Like somebody in front of him got nailed, but he was protected by the guy in front of him. And I was oh like, my oh God. man, I'm, yeah, I don't know. That kind of punk rock thing is just, yeah. It's something. I'm it's just something. like, not that hardcore, man. I wonder, like, you know, growing up around here, you, like, when I was a kid before I could drive or something, we were just on the trains around here. Like, to get to any show, you're on the trains. Um, how do kids in LA when their kids get around to these places? Like, how do they get to South yeah, Central, and then how do they get yeah. home at night buses. from like a place like buses. that? Buses, yeah. Bussing. There was the buses. The buses kind of suck in LA, but that's what you would do. Or it was also LA was hugely dependent on cars. Yeah, people's cars, borrowing your mom's car, and then piling in as many friends as you can. I had a friend who was a year older than me who. uh 
took me to my first punk gig, which was the Bad Brains at the Ukrainian Culture Center. I tell that story in there. And his name was That's Ed. That's pretty cool for Ed, show. Ed Brown was just this amazing dude. He was just punk as fuck. And he had this punk as fuck girlfriend. They both had rad spiked hair. And we're just, and he just, I don't know why he was cool to me, but he was just like, hey, if you want to ride to the gig, you know, I'll give you a ride. I'm like, killer, thanks, you know. He goes, all right, pick you up at eight, whatever. So he picks me up. Um, we go to the gig and like I tell the story in the book and then on the way home, he just like, he didn't stop at one red light or stop sign the whole way right. home <laughs> in his Dodge Charger or something that was like spray painted black. It was yeah. so fucking punk and it was so scary. And uh, I sat in the back seat, you know, while these two like spiky heads were in the front. I was just like, oh, this is cool and uh scary and the shit you could get away with then you know was very yeah. seemed very different than what you can get away with now yeah do, do you think there's an element of like of that danger i mean obviously like the some of the stuff you guys saw was like so fucked up yeah not good but uh, yeah. also i feel like that was so inherent i feel like now it's like you go to a show and it's like people are debating whether like stage driving's okay is it not okay like everything's kind of made to be super safe do you feel like sometimes it kind of punk rock like it needs a little bit of that like uncomfortableness just to kind of yeah you know not necessarily someone getting hurt but just like the chance that something could happen like do you think that's kind of inherent in it a yeah. little yeah maybe it's that um like i like barricades it gives people i see people every show just getting crushed in the front and they can kind of like escape over the barricade right. and get out but it's true. There's something maybe when it's so controlled that it's it's like sanitized or something, mm -hmm. and it's not. There's no chance for real life to happen, you know. And we we did this last night at the show, where I I don't know how it started, but Mike just went, "Wow, that's so uncomfortable." He said it in the mic. That's so uncomfortable. And he goes, "Let's just have a moment of uncomfortable for a minute." And everyone sat there and we kind of all looked at each other and like a thousand people were just kind of looking at each other. And then I went like, I can't stand it. I couldn't do it. You know, like after 30 seconds, I'm like, I got to say something. I don't know what, let's talk about something else. And Mike's like, nope, we're going to do it again. We're going to try and make this happen. One minute. And we did, we, you know, just like real life happened. Yeah. Let yeah. it happen. And I mean, shit, people get their like fucking, I don't know, noses broken and like, injured necks and that's not cool but let let life happen if yeah. you can now i feel like just i get hurt like standing up at a show like my back starts to hurt after like an hour oh yeah it's those shoes man yeah gotta be <laughs> these have new supports in them though oh yeah look at that we'll i know i need some of those yeah, yeah we'll hook you up after this yeah, last time i found myself <laughs> moshing at a show the next day i had like four bruises i wasn't too stoked about and like a pretty sore rotator cuff. Neck was a little cranky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're older now like, than we well, were. What's crazy? Then, I think last yeah. time I matched was at an effect show and I didn't even mean to. I was like in the back of Irving Plaza and you guys started and all of a sudden I was like pushed into the middle of this thing oh, and I was trying to get out and people kept pushing me. I was like, no, I don't want to be in this. <laughs> like I was as far away from this as possible. Yeah. Like this is exactly what I didn't want to happen. Never, yeah. Everyone's like, get the polite yeah. guy. You know get the polite totally, guy. Totally. That's a new thing in moshing now that I've noticed mm. that I don't like. What's is that? the pushers? Yeah, there didn't used to be pushers. Oh yeah, now there's guys who just line the outside of the circle, pushing. 
Oh. Jumping and kind of pushing. No, There's I yeah, remember it always like that. I There's remember always it pushers. being like that. Yeah, yeah. They'd stand on the edge and just, yeah. just kind of keep like, them around. They never really jump in. Oh, yeah. They yeah. just kind of... Yeah, they're fringy I on the side. I think they're maybe just stuck in a bad spot. Oh, <laughs> so like, I'm in that spot, and then I try to get behind that person. Yeah. yeah. See, I'm a. I'm like now. I'm the like since I'm a big guy with a mustache, I can create the illusion I'm a tough person, even though I'm not. <laughs> and I like to sit on the side with the bow. So Ooh. I sit on the side just like that. I'm like, come on. <laughs> I'm like I'm waiting for you, right, but that's like just too many years ago on hardcore shows and getting like snuck by accident. Yeah, right. You know, and An I'm like now, and gets you. Yeah. like if I broke my jaw at a show at 19, I'd be like, hey, <laughs> fuck cool. it. You know, yeah. and now I'm like, I broke my jaw at 35, and I'm thinking about like shit. What's my copay? <laughs> Fucking, what's this? Like, yeah. oh, what about food? How am I, like, no, 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 I just, I can't deal with that right now. Too much. Yeah. I got too much other stuff, you know? So that's why I rock the bow now. I like it. I feel the like the bow. bow. How can I illustrate what I'm doing here? It's, you're for, kind of sticking your elbow out. Yeah, your huge elbow. muscles. Whoa. Yeah, showing the gun no, show there. No, no, no. I meant to, it's a warning. <laughs> I warning, sir. Uh, well, you know, if you're standing on the edge of the pit, if you don't have your hand out and you're not pushing, you're going to get pushed, yeah, you know? Yeah, you got to have your hand up. If you just yeah, stand yeah. there, you're just going to you know, yeah. get smashed into. So you kind of like it's a way of also, you know, protecting yourself and, I don't know, kind of yeah. like, I always remember the, the kind of pushers on the side as <laughs> almost like keeping the pit going. The keeper of the circle. The keeper of the circle, oh, yeah. yes. I feel like it's very distracting. I feel like if I'm in that situation, I can't focus on the show. I'm just trying not to get hit. Right. It's not yeah. really like not cool. It's yeah. kind of distracting. Yeah, it's not um, a lot of bands that bring it out of me these days. No, it happened at the Gorilla Biscuit show at the Vans yeah. warehouse. Oh, and I yeah, promised myself show. I wasn't gonna. I even wore clothes not conducive. <laughs> you know, all sorts of stuff. A hat. You didn't wear your tracksuit. Wouldn't wear a hat. <laughs> yeah, you know, I usually rock yes. my my Adidas tracksuit anywhere I go. <laughs> and and I promised myself. I'm like, nah. I'm just gonna hang out tonight. Me or my girl, whatever. Have a couple drinks. And then Gorilla Biscuit starts, and the horn part from Start Today comes on. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And just yeah. something, like some mini little kid inside of me just started freaking out. I couldn't contain myself. I went ballistic for like a good 45 minutes. Yeah. But, this, but this was what I'm talking about when I came home. Like oh. I needed like three days <laughs> to like recuperate from it. Do awesome. you still feel hey, like... I gotta um, check this. <gasps> Hey, I gotta go really soon. Wow, that okay. was like what time is it? Uh, almost two forty-five. Oh my god, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I know. I got a yeah, yeah. tight schedule these days. I man. know. I get it. <laughs> Last question. Yes, of um, course. Sort of what Benny was talking about, like sort of feeling like a kid. Like, do you still feel like, especially doing this book, like going through all these old stories, all these photos of yourself? I mean, do you still feel like that whatever fourteen-year-old kid that started this band? Do you feel like the same person, or does that feel like another lifetime, or? How do you relate to that, I guess? That's There's a part of me that's, yeah, still the kid when I get on stage and I can just, and everything sounds good and I can just let go just like I did then, you know, just, I love it. It's, it's easy to let, you know, the, whatever, the fears of like the copay, my insurance <laughs> and stuff, you know, like seep in there. But I try and give myself time before the show to just kind of like let that go. And I don't want to like look at emails and like I'm dealing with like my ex-wife and like the kids and schedules and shit 
on a daily basis. And I just like try to let it go. I play guitar with headphones on and just, you know, because you can do it. You can do it. You can like help your mind go in a good direction, you know. And I've over years uh, learned about meditation and found how that's really helpful for me. Again, to just kind of like let things go, you know, um, which is what you could do easily when you're 14. You know, these days, um, I'm going to be 50 in July. You know, it's it can be harder to let things go, but you just have to remember how to do it, you know, just mm-hmm. do it. And uh, maybe I'm lucky too in, in a lot of ways, but um, I'm also, I'm working at it, you know, working at making sure that 14-year-old is still here inside me. Uh, that right. was great. Now I'm really sorry I wasn't here. Yeah, we're sorry too, Brad. You were missed, but you know some people have to go to the beach in Brazil and keep the tourism going. You know, there. it's very, very. I, I um, I've seen Eric a few times since, but the last time I was actually spent any time at all, actually, it was when I met him too. It was a a trip to New Orleans. Oh, really? For another former guest's bachelor party. Who? Max Huber. Max Huber. Um, yeah. Was that Eric and and Fat Mike and a bunch of other guys went down for a weekend of sobriety? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it sounds super mellow. <laughs> it was exhausting. I didn't know Max was married. He's not. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> but those friendships live on. <laughs> Max said what I would definitely, and I think he will admit, it was a post nine eleven wedding. Ah. Uh, a reassessment of life, boom, marriage, boom. Lasted two years or so. I don't know. Yeah, it happens. But the bachelor party was great, and so was the wedding. Yeah. And yeah, that's that. I think that's where I actually, the first time I met Eric, like at least formally, and we, we had a good time. Interesting. Yeah, it was fun. Sounds fun. I wish I was there. I was still, I was, I don't know what I was there. I was in college or something. It was good food. Good booze, good company, some other stuff we can't talk about. <laughs> Sounds about right. Uh, speaking of other stuff, uh, if you want to hear all the dirt on NoFX, uh, Hepatitis Bathtub, out now. Get it from Amazon, your local bookstore. If your bookstore doesn't have it, tell them to get it. They're a fucking bookstore. They should be bending over backwards to do whatever that you want them to do. <laughs> uh, what else? Keep an eye out for the Hepatitis Bathtub audiobook they're working on now. Um, sounds amazing. Can you bend over backwards and get me hepatitis bathtub? That sounds great. <laughs> hepatitis bathtub. Oof. Uh, yeah. So check that out. Um, yeah. Thanks again to Eric for coming by. Thanks to Benny for guest hosting. Uh, thanks for Jonah for just being himself and doing doing it all. Man. Oh come on! It's it's. I get to interview my heroes for an hour and just geek out. So it's like that is all the payment I need. Really. And coffee. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you want to support this podcast in other ways of payment, uh, go to gongofftrack.com, give us a dollar, um, donate to our server costs. We have over 200 free podcasts available for you. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you know how this technology works, because I don't, but Brad says they have to all exist somewhere, and that <laughs> apparently costs money. I'm, I'm an artist, you know, so it's like, that's not really my area of expertise. <laughs> but uh, if you donate, I know that that would help. Uh 
And if you can't donate, um, you can just leave us a nice review or comment on iTunes. You can tweet at us. You can tag us and stuff. You can send us good vibes. Send us good vibes. You can email me. You can tell me who you want to have Go on the to podcast. Shows. Yeah, United Nations. Uh, we are playing June twenty first at Great Scott in Boston. June twenty second in Brooklyn at St. Vitus, and we're playing the fest in Gainesville in October around Halloween. And I can't say who we're playing with yet, but it is pretty fantastic lineup. And the shows here are with uh, Relayer, which is Trevor from Pelican's new band, who's also awesome, and he's been on the podcast. So go to soundwag.com and check out my label releases. Oh, yeah. Brad's got some records coming out. Playdate, I think, hits this Friday, and then uh, Goop CP the next week. Yeah. So get on that. I'm I very... got some other stuff in the pipe. Yeah. Yeah. You can stream everything on Spotify. Wow. It's all there, it's everywhere. It's digitally ubiquitous. You You don't have to buy. You don't have to buy anything. You can stream it all. Stream it. Look at Brad, man of the people. (laughs) Uh, So yeah. So thanks everyone. I keep saying the same shit over and over again. So uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. Uh, Have a have a nice summer if if it's summer where you are. Is it (laughs) summer here? I can't tell. It It feels like it today, but it's coming. It's coming. Summer is coming. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.